You're listening to The Trainumentary. On this episode, we visit with writer Ashley Kahn. best way to describe John Coltrane, you know, the old adage, uh, still waters run deep. On the surface, he was a very plain and simple man, very focused on his music and not much else besides wasn't running around with, you know, babes on his arm like uh, Miles Davis was, etc. But he was incredibly dedicated to his music. But beneath that was an, a very complex and sophisticated individual whose background was actually from the country. And even towards his latter years, people would comment on how, whether it was his haircut or his clothing style or whatever, he always seemed to be just a couple of steps behind the times as far as that went. Yet musically, he was light years ahead of most of his colleagues as far as what he was listening to and what he was challenging himself with. And I think the word challenge at this point really is a defining term for what John Coltrane was about. He decided at a very important point in his life to uh, sort of throw off the um, temptations of the music life, of the road life, and that included drugs and drinking, etc. And that was 1957, and he rededicated himself not only to music, but to a very spiritual way of being, a spiritual life, because he saw his music and that spiritual calling all is one thing. Um, it was very much a holistic approach to living good, being good, playing good, etc. There's an interview from 1958 where he talks about how playing music for him is aspiring to the truth. That he didn't know any other musician who wasn't like him in trying to make truth and honesty happen with one's music. And I think that is very uh, reflective of who he was as a person and why his music cannot in any way be separated from what he was about. As a writer, you're always looking for great stories with great characters and a great message. You know, something inside that really will reach out to people and, you know, uh, tell them something about life in general, reality out there, etc. And I'm, you know, Stone Cold Jazz fan, trying to find a story that was worth telling in such a way that it would reach far beyond the, 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 the converted, you know, beyond the jazz circle. It's really what that was about, you know, and choosing to write a book about one album, in the case of Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, and then after that, choosing a Love Supreme. It was a natural, you know, one-two step right there, especially with the Love Supreme, because it really does serve as a sort of self-portrait, if you will, of who John Coltrane is. It's his only album where he really, you know, takes the time to write the liner notes, to write a letter to his listeners, and to create a poem, which actually is, uh, you know, the sort of musical structure of the last part of the four-part suite that is A Love Supreme. A Love Supreme serves as both a great story, it opens up to a um, 
telling the story of an incredible character who was so dedicated and so musically driven through his very, very short career. I mean, if you think about it, he was recording music, music that we still listen to today, really only for about 12 years, from 1955 to 67. And what he created in that 12-year period, most people don't would not be able to create in like two or three lifetimes. The arc of his progress, the velocity of his progress, is just unfathomable. It's almost inhuman. Uh, his uh, one of his uh, drummers who worked with him, Rashid Ali, keeps. <laughs> once I interviewed him, he, was, he was kept saying, "You know, that's unnatural. It's unnatural." You know, his how focused and obsessed he was with music, and yet he was human. I mean, he was just like you or me. Uh, he was not a prodigy. You know, he was not someone who uh, picked up the saxophone at age three and started playing Charlie Parker runs. You know, he was someone who worked at his craft and never stopped doing that. So as an example, uh, as an iconic figure, as someone who really decided that he was going to do something special with his music far beyond just playing in jazz clubs and at jazz festivals, etc., which seemed to be the limit of what you could do if you were an African-American, if you were playing a jazz instrument and playing within the jazz world in the 1950s. That seemed to be about it. But he aspired further, and he had the audacity to actually feel that with a quartet and with the music that he had grown up with, basically, you know, the extension of the blues and bebop, you know, that we call modern jazz, that he could create a musical work that was worthy of being a thank you to the divine. Much like, you know, what Bach or Beethoven did. And of course, they would have a full symphony, you know, a full orchestra working on that, and a huge choir. But John Coltrane's idea was to achieve that and say thank you to the Almighty. And the Almighty that he defines as someone who is incredibly universal. Uh, he says it in the poem to a love supreme, all paths lead to God. And he's not just talking about the Christian God. He's talking about anyone, anywhere on the planet. So, you know, the idea that he could create a piece of music just using his saxophone, his voice, his quartet, and to make it worthy of um, this debt that he felt he owed to the divine is pretty incredible. And the fact that he achieved with it the popularity and the recognition that uh, won two Grammy nominations. It was Album of the Year and Downbeat. It was his most popular and best-selling album to date as of 1965 when it came out. That's pretty incredible. Thank you. 
For more information on the program, visit trainyourmentry.blogspot.com.